Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza. And uh, on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Felix Vortzman. So Felix is a fascinating story to us because I guess we crossed paths, paths 10 years ago. And um, this is really the story of the evolution of investor. Because when you hear what Felix has been through, and he's been on the podcast before, but on this particular episode, he shares some details of his story that we were not aware of and just the evolution of what he's gone through. Because he really started out, you know, in his early 20s, then kind of parked it for a little bit, didn't, you know, didn't pursue real estate investing, got into his career, and then had a pretty, I guess, sizable hiccup with his career. You're, you'll hear that. He shares it on this episode. And then he really pushes forward with his real estate investing. And now he's semi-retired and could be fully retired. He, he's only semi-retired because he still likes working with investors and uh, um, doing the odd real estate project. So to hear his story on how he did that in basically a, a 10 or 11 year span at the age of 47, he was able to say, hey, I'm semi-retired now. Um, it's really interesting. And some of the stuff that he's now doing with triplexes in the Niagara region, um, you know, that's kind of like... That to us is what we're going to see more and more of just infill projects, people being pretty creative with what they do with their properties on these project uh, projects and how they're able to create, you know, sizable amounts of cash flow, um, even in the Toronto and greater Toronto area um, real estate market with some of these strategies. So he shares that. So this is really the story of uh, the journey of a real estate investor and his own evolution. So really grateful that he shares that he is part of the Rockstar team here now. And uh, he shares his contact information during this episode as well if you want to track him down and reach out to Felix. And if you are listening to this and you want to get started, just like Felix got started, and he got started, I guess it would be right after the great financial crisis, when pretty much everybody was telling us that real estate was the worst thing ever and you shouldn't go into it and real estate interest, sorry, interest rates are about to rise and it's over for real estate. Um, but people like Felix dove in and uh, they are enjoying the fruits of their labor now. So if you want to dive into real estate, but you're not sure where to begin, you can come out to our introductory real estate training class it's probably what Felix came out to all that time ago. It's changed a lot, that class. We're sharing different strategies and different things now, of course. But you can come to that class and register yourself for a seat at that class. We're doing it online right now. You can register for that class at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. So if you go to CanadianRealEstateTraining.com, you can register yourself to grab a seat for the next time that we're doing one of those introductory real estate training classes. They are live and Nick and I stick around at the end to answer all the Q&A that comes in after that class. That's it. That's it for the intro. Let's get on. Let's, I can't speak today. Let's, that's it for the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we're recording, Nick. Yeah, I just wanted to let you know, I actually just turned your mic off. So you can talk, say anything you want. Me and Felix are going to have a conversation here and whatever you say isn't actually going to matter. That's perfect. All Everyone will just hear silence during that part and then they'll, it'll be a meditative quality to the podcast. A meditative quality? Yeah. Meditation <laughs> right. is making a comeback now. Yeah. yeah. Felix Vortzman is with us and uh, we were just talking about, before, Felix, before we get into your story, which I need to get into, uh, this inflation, 6.7%. And what were you saying? 1% a month? Uh, well, yeah, one point one or something. Well, last the last month, I believe it was only five point seven, so it went up by one percent in just one month, basically. Oh, great! So we keep this pace up, 
Um, yeah, we'll be in double digits soon. We're I just like how the, the the announcement it was like with some of the analysts were like so they were so, so surprised by it, and I'm like I don't know like do you not do shopping? You know, like if you go out to the stores and you see something that there's no supplies and you see prices and you fill up your gas tank, I'm like, I don't know, how hard is it to figure out there's inflation? Canadian dollar is going to be the next Zimbabwe dollar. <laughs> That's good. I'm going to be a trillionaire. Well, yeah, but I got, I got it. And I think this is where everybody gets head faked. I think, I think probably by June, July, we're going to start to see really low inflation numbers. The year over year price increases of consumer goods, however, whatever kind of bullshit, however they measure it it might just come in lower and everyone's going to be like, oh, it's over. Interest rates are higher. You know, all this inflation talk's dead. Then it raises its ugly head again in six months and goes through the roof and everyone's shocked again. Yeah. Ten, ten years passes and everyone's looking around. Why, why did everything double or triple in price? And it catches everyone off guard. Yeah, I think what we have to realize is the prices, they're not going back. Like, so, so yeah. They, so that, they, That's the point I think most yeah. people miss. Yes, explain. Yeah, the prices, they might look, so inflation won't be year over year, won't be high anymore because it started, you know, the second half of last year. So year over year numbers might not be so bad. Um, if they're bad, then we're in real trouble because then we're like, you know, year upon year, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're seeing these high inflation numbers. But, but I, I think zero. it's a new base. It's a zero, but we're, it's a new baseline. Like, it's not like the prices have gone up and they're going to come back down. So whatever you were paying for milk or eggs or meats or something like that before is going to just magically drop. It's, I, I just think like there's a lot of bad things have to happen for that to actually happen. I don't think that's the case. And in history, it's never it doesn't really happen. It's, it's, a, it's a new floor. Yeah, well, things can fluctuate. Like lumber was way two by fours were like a million dollars, and we were all yeah. But I just mean in general, yeah. like your cost of the cost of living isn't going back Backward. to where it was a couple of years ago. That's that's what I think in general. I think it's actually going to get worse because one of the things that we haven't experienced yet is wage inflation, and we're leading up to it right now, right? Like if you look at any inflationary periods, typically you know stuff like lumber materials gas everything goes up there's going to be a more forceful push towards wage inflation so i don't think it's necessarily going to come down i think it's going to keep on going up because wages are basically a big component of the inflation equation we're seeing it already i mean you know from yeah. some business owners we know that there's, we know there's pressure on wages they haven't moved on mass what we're seeing is kind of like it's almost on the higher end of and this is where the, this is where it actually gets worse if this continues because then it's you know call it uh, whatever you want to call it the higher income earners or white collar workers or whatever you want to call it but the higher wage jobs there's more wage inflation than the lower wage jobs. So we've already gone through COVID where the majority of stimulus and funds and you know people get the benefit of people that were able to stay home and, and keep their keep their incomes and stuff like that. Those were higher earning roles. And the lower earning roles, they didn't have the same types of benefits. So now if we go down this path with wage inflation, which we're seeing now with these higher earning roles, the the, the gap between the lower income earning earners and the higher income earners again is continuing to widen. Right. Like they're all signs point to like just not not right? good. Uh, and what I was going to say also was that if inflation is zero percent in the future, let's say in June or July, it doesn't mean prices got cheaper. It just means year over year, the yeah, way they're, they're measuring them, they didn't go up. But over the two years before that year, they could have been up ten percent, twenty percent. So when you see zero, it doesn't really mean things are like good again. It just means that they didn't go up, and however they measured them for that little period of time. Um, Anyway, so Felix, what I wanted to talk about, what I wanted to ask you, and I think is interesting is like, uh, and you kind of mentioned it, the evolution of a real estate investor. You're now, do you, do you refer to yourself as semi-retired? 
I am semi-retired. Technically, I could retire today if I wanted to. I just enjoy what I do. Um, I, my daughter's still 12 years old, so I, I, you know, I have to wait at least another six years before I can actually what kick her out of the house. Kick her out, yeah. <laughs> well, university, whatever the case may be. Um, but uh, in the meantime, I, I, I have a passion for what I do. Uh, I love helping people achieve, uh, guide, guiding them on their paths to financial freedom. And uh, I'm not the type of person that could just lie on the beach indefinitely. So how did this start? You're, you're late 40s. No, so. man, you take enough vacations. And I'm, yeah, I, I, like I doubt all, that statement. You're constantly <laughs> on vacation, dude. But you're late 40s. And um, how did the real estate adventure begin? How many years ago to get to the point where you're like, yeah, yeah, I can kind of retire, semi-retire, do as I please financially? Because I think a lot of people want to get to that point. Mm -hmm. So when did you start? What mind frame were you in when you start? What did your life look like when you started? How many years ago was it? And how did you get to this point? So I became a um, active real estate investor in my own mind. I, I have been investing for several decades, but an active real estate investor, I would say about 11 years ago. And uh, what brought me to this point, I worked in the corporate world as a CFO uh, for several organizations. Um, th this story is similar to a lot of other people as, as well. You know, you eventually, something happens in your life that basically changes the way you think, uh, you know, turns things upside down. Uh, you know, you go through the whole rigmaroles, you know, uh, the, the, the basic rules of, you know, going to school, getting good grades, getting a good job. Well, I did all of that. Uh, I got my CA designation, worked uh, several years in the corporate world, um, traveled internationally, gained a lot of business experience. Um, and as my career kept on escalating and, you know, as I kept on moving forward with my career, I felt more and more miserable. I felt I had less and less time to actually enjoy the fruits of my labor. And I felt that I was working way, way more. And it got funny to because you're progressing. So everyone's patting you on the back. Good job, Felix. Yeah, yeah. I work but meanwhile, your life sucks. Yeah, work, work on the weekends as well now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That Felix, he's really doing good in his life. He's really doing well. He's doing good. I can't even speak. He's doing good. He's doing well in his life. And then you just behind the scenes, everything just sucks. How many people are like that right now? Well, it's it's getting worse and worse. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, the the, uh, the the final nail on the coffin uh, in my career was basically just before my daughter was born, or when my daughter was born. Um, I was working for a multi-unit residential company, and my wife had gestational diabetes, and we scheduled her C-section as a result. My daughter had other plans. She came two weeks earlier, so my boss knew that we had a scheduled time frame for my daughter to be born, but obviously. That didn't work out. So um, my wife went into labor. Um, she went to a doctor's appointment, 10.30 a.m. She calls me. She went to Toys R Us right after a doctor's appointment going, um, I know that <laughs> she told me my water just broke. And I was like freaking out. I'm like going, oh, God, you know, I don't want to basically leave these guys without any support, uh, my employer, that is. So I, uh, I called up all of my um, uh, accounting minions, as the saying goes, <laughs> Uh, try to basically put them on the right path. Obviously, I was still available by BlackBerry at that stage and uh, f was there for about four hours while my wife was in labor, which is insane. Like, this is my, my only child and our first child and our only child right now, right? And I was crazy enough to actually stick around at, at work till about 3 p.m. that day for the next five and a half, four and a half hours to try to tie up loose ends. To the point where the executive assistant to the CEO said, well, what the hell are you doing here? Go be with your wife. And, you know, it clicked with me. I'm like going, yeah, this, this, this is insane. 
So my daughter was born about 36 hours later. And instead of a congratulatory phone call or an email or, or something like that from, my, from the CEO, all I got was this letter that was kind of vetted through HR. You could feel that it was vetted through, through HR. It was not him speaking. And basically said, well, you knew when your kid was going to be born. And because she was born early, somewhere along these lines, you left us in a, in a, in a precarious position. I'm like going, what? <laughs> so that, that was my, I'm like going, okay, I've, I've sweat blood, you know, blood, sweat, tears, you know, working. What, what was the end of the letter? Like get, get lost? Get back to work? Or, or get back to work or you're fired? No, no, they didn't say fired or anything like that. It was just like. So it's just a letter to say your shit. Yeah. Hi. Hey, welcome. The, welcome. You're, as a new father, the first communication that you get from us is a formal letter vetted through HR that says your shit. Well, thanks for nothing. Thank you. Not, hey, we just want to remind you. They were blaming me for my daughter being born early. That, that was that was the, it's got to be was, someone's fault. So. Yeah. Holy smoke. That, that, so that was your light bulb moment. That was my light bulb moment. And uh, I was I was killing myself basically in my career, not just with this employer, but all the previous employers before that. And I felt like throughout my whole life that, you know, once I got into the corporate world, once I got went through my CA article courses, I knew for a fact that something was not right. It's not exactly the way I envisioned my career to go. This is not the way that I felt life should be going. Um, I had a running joke with my my friends. The minute I, once I graduated university, they're going, "What are you going to do now?" And I joked with them. I'm going, "Well, I'm ready to retire. <laughs> Why not bypass the whole uh, working yeah, thing altogether?" All. So, so that moment then gets you into more real estate in an active way. Were you already investing while you were still working there, or no? That's that's what tr- triggered you starting to invest. So, uh, when I graduated university, I paid instead of paying off my OSAP loan, I worked all the way through university and. People can uh, think I'm a returning guest here, so I mean, like, they can certainly uh, hear my story in the previous podcast. Oh, dude, no one remembers yesterday. We need <laughs> to refresh our memories here. <laughs> so when I finished university, I uh, instead of paying off my OSAP, I actually worked throughout university, put my, uh, my, myself through university, and I actually had all the funds to repay OSAP the minute I graduated. But instead of doing that, I decided to buy a property instead. And the reason why I bought that property is because, you know, way back when, when I was still a teenager, one of my friend's uh, uh, parents, uh, they were investing in uh, single family homes in the North York area of Toronto. It was North York back then. Um, and we were moving these crazy heavy fridges up and down. I'm going, why the heck are you doing this? This is insane. Like, why would anybody do this? And she actually sat down with me. It's almost like a rich dad, poor dad thing, or it's like rich mom, poor mom thing. Uh, she kind of ran me through the numbers and it kind of stuck with me. And, uh, he bought a property. You went to, you went to Acapulco twice, I think on your OSAP money. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I even gave some of my OSAP money to a friend who couldn't <laughs> afford to go to Acapulco because I thought it was a good investment yeah. for him to come along with us. <laughs> That's Felix, he did it all wrong. Yeah. Felix. He did it all yeah. wrong. Yeah. It's yeah. the accountant in me, you know? I, think <laughs> I had to ask him like three years later. I'm like, can you please pay me back for that? <laughs> I want to pay off my OSAP loans. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go go on, Felix. So, so I, I bought that condo with my dad, I was, who I was living with at the time, and uh, he was renting before. Um, um, so we bought that thing for a whopping $119,000, uh, put in about ten grand in renovations. Uh, and then a year, about a year later, I'm like going, this doesn't make any sense because I, it, it kind of clicked with me. I, I started remembering what was, you know, what my friend's mom used to tell me. I'm like going, regardless of what I do with this condo, like, you know, I'm still out of pocket every single month. So I made a decision to actually sell it a year later. 
at a five thousand dollar loss. Which you know, if you're a university grad, that that was the world to you, basically. That you know, five thousand dollars back in the '90s was a lot of money. And uh, Felix, do you need a paper towel for your your glasses? You're good. Fogging up a little bit. No, you're good. Put them away. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. If you need it, just let us know. You got the heat lamps over here. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Sorry. We want. Yeah, we want to shine this light on you, Felix. <laughs> there you go. So, so, so you sold it for five thousand dollars, but you had been through the five thousand dollar loss. Loss. Been through the experience. But the reason why I sold it is because I decided to buy a semi-detached home with a with a basement entrance, basically to it. Uh, spent another ten grand in renovations and money I didn't have. Um, and where did that money come from? Well, through the sale of the real estate and then uh, credit cards, yeah, okay. Uh, okay. you know, the usual zero, zero, zero percent interest rate deals, that sort of stuff. And uh, the basement, we rented out to students, York University and Seneca students. And I found that the rent we were getting from the university students, we were living on the main floor. So our, our accommodations were actually... Who's poor. we? My, my dad, okay. my brother. Yep. Um, and the, the basement tenants were basically paying off all our mortgage carrying costs, property taxes. The only thing we were really on the hook for was utilities. So we went from paying everything to paying next to nothing. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So it was, I guess it was house hacking before the term ever came, mm -hmm. came into being. And subsequent to that, I got involved with the dot-com era investing. Everything was going well until everything went to zero. Uh, met my wife uh, and got into about $120,000 worth of debt with respect to the dot-com era bubble. Uh, so you were investing on leverage? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, a bad leverage, too. So I used to take these zero credit card balance, zero uh, um, percent credit oh, card shit, offers. Yeah. 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 And I was literally basically saying, OK, they're six to one year uh, terms. So you, you take the money for free. And there was none of this like three percent service fee before then. It's like literally zero yeah. percent. Here you go. Take the money, make the easy money in the stock market. Correct. And then pay it back. It's like it's a no brainer. So I have multiple credit cards. Yeah. And every time, like I was close to basically, uh, you know, reaching that one-year goal, another credit card offer uh, arrived. <laughs> so I paid off the balance. I was, I was literally kiting this thing legally. Um, and what really bailed my butt out is that that same house that I bought with my dad, um, because I met my wife. We sold that house off, and the proceeds of the sale of that house enabled me to pay off all those debts that I've incurred as a result of uh, the dot-com era. Um, so it just goes to show you that, you know, real estate over the long term could be very forgiving regardless of what, what it is that you do with it. And I, since then, after, after the sale of that house, you know, we moved into our own principal residence. I started investigating areas within the GTA to potentially invest in, but I was a newbie and I was fearful. So hold on, but this is, we'll go back to when what, you only had the one prop while you were working. What, you only had the one property while you were working? Correct. And then you didn't, you started, this is when you started deciding to get more into it is after you left your job or no? No, no, no. This is before I left. Okay, okay. Yeah. So this is basically in 2004, we sold off that property and moved down with my wife into our current uh, home. Okay. And, and that's when you're like, okay, this real estate thing worked out for me. You know, I should look at it further and you're still working full time at this point. Correct. But you're a newbie and now you feel like you have a little bit more experience. So you're into like the next phase of your investing. That's right. I so, so it took me another six years of paralysis analysis to actually get into the market. Then the financial crisis happened. I started exploring areas like Florida. Uh, yeah, you're an accountant. Six years is not too bad for an accountant. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. for accountants, yeah, any yeah. accountants out there, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember when I quit, my, an accountant that was working with us wrote down like the opportunity cost of my investments in some kind of spreadsheet, and he was basically telling me that these real estate properties weren't as good as some other investments he was going to make. And I guess I was just like a simpleton or something. I was just looking. The income is this, the expenses are this. I get to have this asset by just putting at the time it was like five percent down. Oh yeah. 
Um, I remember I don't, half percent. Yeah, I don't understand your math, and I'm just going to proceed. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway, so you did well as an accountant. I did well as an accountant. My, my career was progressing. Um, for the next six years, I was kind of dilly-dallying with respect to researching different marketplaces, you know, running numbers. But at the same time, I was technically a newbie for all intents and purposes still. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was the fear of not knowing what you don't know, essentially. So then when your daughter is born, you decide, if, you know, after getting that letter... You're like, okay, this is when you're like, I'm, I'm going to really kind of step into this now. I came very close actually in 2009. My, my in-laws bought a condo in Florida. I went down there basically for about a couple of weeks and uh, spent half the time with a real estate agent actually just driving around. Uh, this is after the financial crisis. And I figured, hey, I can make a go of this as a real full-time Did you buy estate. something? No. So you just annoyed the crap out of that person. That's what I was day. thinking. The same thing. So like you <laughs> just annoyed them for days, dude. I, yeah, karma, karma. Oh, my bitch, God. Right? And I'm a realtor oh as well. So. Oh, my God. But, well, my intent was to actually do yeah, something. Yeah, sure, your intent. Yeah, you went my, days my, with this person, this poor person, <laughs> some poor person. They're still cursing your name nightmare. down there, yeah. This I'm, Canadian came down. He took me... I took him around for three days, showed him everything, didn't buy jack. Shit. The next Canadian that reached yeah. out to that realtor when they told yeah. him to get lost. Yeah. Now we now yeah, they know why. Thinking, yeah. Why are all realtors assholes? Yeah, like, because yeah. it's people like Felix that went around for three days. Yeah, it's uh well, you know, uh, my intent was to actually buy something. Uh, my but I told my wife I go I can make a go of this, but we're gonna have to move to Florida. And she's like going, there's no way in hell we're moving to Florida. I'm like going, great. Okay, so that kind of broke my dreams down there. Uh, and uh, subsequent to which, I'm like, okay, I came back home. I'm like, going, okay, what do I do now? I, I kind of got this real estate bug now. So I started exploring things, and that's when I, when I found you guys. Our, I, I don't even know how the heck I found that's you. That's our strategy. We don't, nobody knows how they run it's into like us. Stealth. We just, it's like <laughs> stealth mode marketing. We should we start a program. People, we have people, it's, you know, those things where you like have the secret signs that you've seen like 20 yeah. times throughout the day. We plant people along your route every day. Dude, so then yeah. you just, you just didn't know subliminal messaging for like, for about a week and a half. Yeah. And magically you just show up. Dude, like, I was standing great. outside your office with a sign, buy real estate, <laughs> yeah. just smiling. Every day you pulled in, you drove right by me. You just like didn't never really in that noticed. car. Yeah. You whipped right by me, but I was there just smiling every day, knowing that when you were ready, you would discover us. I thought you had the sign Rosebud, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, okay, so you stumbled into us and then you started going down this rabbit hole. Yeah, so at that stage, I made a decision that I wanted to start investing heavily uh, as a real estate investor. And when I make a decision, I kind of jump with, into it with two feet, basically. So uh, give me the timelines, though. Your daughter's still not born. Like, you're still working so full-time at this time. Two, 2010. Uh, she was born in January. Uh, October, I think, of 2010 is when I met you guys. Um, and within... So did you, did you keep working at that place after that letter? I did. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, not until October. I only for another month or two. Okay. Um, and Did then, you talk to the guy about the letter? Oh, I, I had, you know, you know what, what you, everybody wishes they could say to their boss? Yeah. I let him have it basically on my way uh, out. And what did he say? Oh, on, on your way out. Oh, oh you my. went out with fingers take, flying take in the air. Right? job and. Oh and my God, did you? With several profanities. Oh, yeah, I, tell I, everybody not, I, to, I yeah, not to do that because you want to protect your relationship. No, but after the letter. Remember when it's like, don't burn a bridge? Oh, yeah. Don't okay. burn bridges. You set fire to that thing, man. He's a, he's a piece of crap of a human being. Oh, oh my God, what, shit. I wouldn't, I wouldn't it, for pulling crap like that yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he I guess was you're not rebuilding that bridge anytime yeah. soon. No, no. <laughs> and uh, so I made a woeful decision that when my daughter was born and after I received that letter that I was going to exit the corporate world, but obviously I needed income coming in in order to survive. So what I ended up doing was I gave myself a four to five year plan to exit the corporate world, which was very tough to do. I mean, I was... That's aggressive. Yeah. yeah, yeah High I mean, income. Yeah. I was earning six figures yeah. basically. 
Uh, so good income, um, you know, the golden handcuffs essentially. So I gave myself a four to five year time frame. And instead of taking on full-time positions, I decided to take on contract roles as a result because I didn't want to get tied down to any one organization. And it, that was lucrative and let me help, help me pay the bills. And by October of that year, I met you guys. Um, within a span of about three weeks, um, I had two, contra uh, two properties under contract in Hamilton, a city that I barely knew. My in-laws had a business there. Um, and, but I only saw the downtown core back in the early 2000s. Totally different animal than what, what Hamilton uh, downtown looks like now. And um, never knew how Hamilton was like a hole in the wall, but made a willful decision to kind of go. So then why, oh, so you're, you, in your words, you're in like a newbie still, mm -hmm. right? But, and you did six years of thinking. And then was it just finally you got, like what got you to that next, if we're talking about levels of investing in different stages, like so what got you to kind of then over that hump to pull the plug? pull the trigger after six years of investing. Now you're investing in a place that you didn't even know. Well, the investing part was basically from 2004. I didn't really invest into anything until 2010, 11. Okay. Again. So there was a good six to seven year period yeah. of analysis paralysis, you know, fear factor, all that good stuff. But when I made a willful decision that I needed to do something different, yeah. you know, maximum pain will, you know, fear will, will either, uh, you know, st stop you in your tracks or will be a very powerful motivating factor. Uh, and I, I believe that a lot of people can relate to this as well. Something shock, something happens in their life that shocks them. And all of a sudden they feel like either they feel desperate and saying, that's it, you know, I give up. Or they use that fear to move forward into something bigger and better. Do, do you think that, uh, so I, I, I agree. And, and, and that's why I'm asking this question. Maybe we'll get to this, but I'm curious. So like you're at that point in your life where you're fearful and you're like, you got to do something. So you're like, all right. I'm going to buy these couple properties in Hamilton. Don't really know it well. I, you know, I met someone here. I think you were working with Mike. Trust Mike. I'm going to do this thing. Let's go. And then, um, but now at the stage you're at now where you have more experience, you have more properties, you've been doing it for longer. Do you, can you do that type of thing still? Or now because you have more to lose with investing or more experience and you can compare it to other things, sometimes does it prevent you from, taking advantage of some opportunities that come your way that you may have taken, you may have kind of jumped at in the past that you would no longer kind of just look at now. I always wondered that, you know what I mean? Because you have more to lose now. You don't have the same fearful. You're semi-retired. Does it, does it take the, does it kind of dull the edge a little bit? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I have much more clarity with respect to what's happening with the economy, the markets, uh, what's driving the real estate market within, uh, within the areas that we live in, the greater Golden Horseshoe, Southwestern Ontario. Um, if anything, I don't even blink an eye. If I see an opportunity, I'll jump on it right away. Okay. You know, to me, it's all about the numbers and the, the dynamics that are driving the real estate market. And I feel I have much more clarity now than I did in the past. Before it was like very, um, it was stressful because you, you didn't know what the heck you were getting yourself into. Now I, you know, I don't even blink an eye. Like, you know, you buy property, you know there's going to be 10 problems, but you've handled them all before, so it's like no big deal. Yeah, like what used to, like for example, when I was exploring North, the North York properties, there was a triplex that was uh, selling for 200 You say triplex? Triplex. Oh, I say triplex. Triplex, triplex, tomato, really? tomato. <laughs> no, dude, I really think it's triplex. Okay, but anyway, go on. So, so 259 grand in North York in a good area, um, but I need renovations. And that, and that scared the shit out of me. 
Now, if I saw the same property, I, I wouldn't even blink an eye to it. I'm like, going, okay, run the numbers. Okay, I know exactly what I need to do. I well, yeah, 250 grand. I think we'd all buy it. Well, back then, that was <laughs> no, a lot but of money. Then, no, yeah, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. Back then, there was a lot of money, especially if you don't have the experience. The experience basically gives you much more confidence going forward. Uh, I mean, I, I can undertake crazy renovations right now, stuff with foundation issues. Uh, in fact, the first duplex I ever did, this is, this is the other crazy part. After I purchased it, uh, I had to replace all the joist directions. In the, it was like an L-shaped dining no. room, living room. I literally had to basically jack up the front portion of the house. It was a cantilevered front end and change the direction of all the joists because the builder did not tie in the uh, – with the cantilevered, uh, cantilevered uh, houses, the ratio in, from an engineering perspective is a six-to-one ratio. For every foot it jets out – you have to give a, a provided joist that's about six feet long. So this one jetted out two feet. I needed a 12-foot span. The builder only put in a six-foot span and even then forgot to tie it in uh, with the other joist. So over time, that front portion of the house, and I was walking around the property. There was no family. Oh, no, Nick, that's what's happening to one of our properties. Yeah. Anyway. Well, but yeah, that's just, on that property is just a porch. Yeah, but I think that's exactly what's happening. Well, There's a living area above it, though. Yeah, yeah it's a, you know, yeah. the okay. you know the yeah. bungalows, yeah, yeah, they have like yeah. a couple of, like yeah. the main floors. Actually, yeah, on yeah. the second level, I think we have a bedroom. Yeah, no. Yeah, I'm Should not sure either. That. Okay, I think there's a bedroom yeah. above okay. that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and that was the, the winter that was very mild, 2015 to 2016. We actually had to wait a long time for the ground to freeze because we need to actually jack up that front portion of the house oh, with bottle jacks, but we, could, we couldn't do it until the ground froze. Otherwise, they would just sink. And once that happened, there was a ceiling crack that formed. Uh, we uh, got framers in there. They actually, by the way, this is a major undertaking. When you have to change the direction of the joy space, everything basically has to be replaced there. HVAC. Yeah, that's plumbing. a nightmare. That's a complete nightmare. Right. So you, when you start getting into this, you find us. You go up into Hamilton. You buy one or two properties, it sounds like. Um, and then what? You dip into the equity as it appreciates in those properties to keep extracting money from the first couple properties to buy the next properties? Is that how you built a portfolio? Well, actually, you guys basically really appealed to me because you came up with this concept called rent-to-own. And the rent-to-own concept really worked out uh, well for me. Um, so the first property that I basically had under contract was actually the second one to close. The first one I did as a rent-to-own, my first rent-to-own ever. I remember my daughter just crawling around. She wasn't even walking at that stage. Uh, and I was fearful because there's no gates or anything else. There's a couple of little stairs, whatever. So as I'm showing the property to tenants, I'm chasing after my daughter at the same time. Um, so it was, it was interesting. And then uh, during that showing, we, we, I met another couple. They didn't want to do rental and they just wanted to do straight rentals. And I had another property closing five, you know, we, we went under contract in January. It was closing late May, so nearly five months. And uh, I decided to just do it as a straight rental at that stage. And... Subsequent to that, I found that once I filled those properties, I'm like going, okay, I got to find my next one. And the next one I found was in Stony Creek below the mountain. Did it as a rental owner as well. It just all happened that the first rental owner didn't really get a huge amount of uh, upfront money basically on it. I think it was only four grand. But the, but the second one, uh, I got $60,000 uh, upfront payment plus a full year's rent in advance. So literally, I basically got all of my down payment and then some. And I'd redeploy those funds immediately to buy yet another two properties. So within the first two years, year and a half actually, I, I ended up purchasing five properties. After that, um, I undertook, a friend of mine started taking notice of what I was doing. So we decided to JV on a couple of properties in Brantford. So we bought our first and sole student rental, which we just sold last year. 
and another one in the north end of Brantford. After that, um, I'm like going, okay, well, I want to diversify geographically, so where else can I go? So I went to Barrie, uh, again, with my JV partner, purchased a couple of properties there. And after around 2016, I, I had a pretty good knack of basically figuring out where the next best areas were for maximizing ROI and cash flow. And uh, wait a second, time out. Before <laughs> you say the next best areas, I'm pretty sure we were telling you about the next best areas before you discovered the next best area. And you probably laughed at us, Felix. Nope. No. no? Oh, no, okay. No, no, no. Okay. Where was the next best area? <laughs> the next best area was Niagara region, yeah. in my opinion. Um, why, yeah. why? Same place that some of our team members have lived for multiple years and have been saying about uh, team Felix meetings discovered. all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and they were Actually, to be fair, some of those uh, rock star team members didn't want the word to get out about Niagara, no, remember? No. Yeah, yeah. remember? I, it was actually JP, and he was he was phenomenal. <laughs> actually, I went to CAA. You know, remember CAA gave you uh, yeah, yeah, free yeah, maps? Yeah, yeah. maps? I literally got maps of Come every on. single municipality. Dude, spread it out on Like a, Google on Maps table. already existed at this time. I, I know, but I didn't need that, basically. <laughs> the reason why... Clearly. I, I went old school, and I went old school because... And this is, you know, the thing I really enjoy working with Rockstar as an agent and as a coach is we tend to help each other basically one way or the other. So if anybody needs like technical expertise on a specific area that one of us is basically has more expertise in, we're more than happy to basically assist each other. Um, it's it's kind of this mindset of abundance that you know we're not really competing. We are with grateful each other, for sure, right? So, so JP walked you through can, St. Catharines. So, can no, I stop yeah. you? Can I just stop you for a sec? Yeah. though? hold on. So so you you had that first property, took six years, bought a couple other properties, and then you ended up buying, you know, whatever, five in a year and a half or something. So this was now, so now you're no longer a newbie investor. No. Right? So you've, you've jumped and were you working full-time at this time in another job or no, you had already left corporate world or no? No. In 2000, early 2015 is when I joined up with you guys. I went cold turkey. Like uh, I literally stopped working basically in the corporate world. I've met my five-year timeline and I was out. No income coming in, new agent. But you said five-year timeline. So, so, so you left that initial job, and then you started investing. Right I was away. investing immediately, pretty much immediately. Uh, Within six months, I was. Oh, okay. So you had property. you had some funds built up to give you runway to be able to build up income over a five-year timeline. Is that correct? Correct. But at the same time, it was much easier back then. Remember, we had thirty-five-year amortization, forty-year mortgage. No, no, I get it. I'm just trying to get a sense of you know because people are looking. So how do you know just to kind of piece it all together? So now you're in what you were to call so those five properties. Um, or that you did yourself. That's like state. That's like the next stage for you. And then you gain some experience, and then that experience now took you to, uh, let's call it the, another stage. You know, I don't know if you want to name them or whatever. Let's call it stage three for for Felix at least, where you have enough experience. So now you're confident, or you're you can attract more joint venture partners because they're looking at you with a track record that you've built yourself, and you are now bringing value to them in that partnership. As a joint venture partner, they're like, okay, cool. So they'll they'll start funding some deals or going on title or whatever to qualify for mortgages because you're bringing this work or you guys are splitting some costs or whatever the you know however the arrangement was. So that's that's kind of the stage now. Well, it was a mix mixed bag of it. Okay, still purchasing properties myself. My wife was basically purchasing properties in her name. I was purchasing properties, in and my then name. doing some joint ventures and as doing well. Doing some joint okay. ventures as well. Um, at that stage, I mean, like from an evolution of a real estate investor, I, I would say that the first three to five years are your toughest. Because you don't have any equity really to yeah. leverage. Cash flow's tight because you just Nothing's close on the happening. property. Yeah, yeah. 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 That, that is, I mean, that's what everyone looks at the numbers and like, well, so this is it. Like, so it's a little bit of cash flow here. Like, that's not yeah. going to change my life. And I'm like, yeah, 100%. It's not today. But you're, like you're talking about, over time when you build, it's like a little, it's the snowball effect, right? You're slowly rolling this thing, rolling this thing. And it takes a few years. But then all of a sudden you look back, and you're like, holy crap. 
It compounds. There's, there's, you know, there's right. something really here that's starting. And then if you can stick in it for five or 10 years, then you look back and you're like, holy crap, thank God I did this stuff, right? It gets really interesting. After the five years, if you want to continue expanding your portfolio, then literally you get to the stage where you're no longer requiring your own funds. As long as you can, the biggest uh, um, advantage that you can have as a real estate investor is your ability to obtain financing, whether it's by yourself or through a joint venture partner. If you can achieve that, then you no longer really require your own funds for the most part in order to keep on buying properties. You're literally leveraging off the equity you've built up in the other properties. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And there's ways to expedite that, obviously. Like rent to own was, was a great way for me to kind of expand my portfolio in the early stages. Um, you know, that big rent to own check that I got um, enabled me to buy two, pro uh, two additional properties in this short span of time directly after, uh, after purchasing that one. And then I went through the JV range, you know, because my income was not just where it needed to be. But, you know, that was in 2013 that I started doing some JVs. In 2015, you know, I had no income coming in for mm -hmm. the most part. I was but you had your license now. I had my license now. People were starting taking notice of what I was doing. And I would say, you know, honestly, for, for the first couple of years, I was my own best client. Mm -hmm. <laughs> If, if I could basically find an opportunity and I could fund the deal, I, I actually went forward with it without, without really. But that's when you walked away from the corporate world. Correct. Correct. Okay. So then we discover St. Catharines. You pull out a map from CAA. You lay it out there. I like this actually because I'm very visual. So I would actually learning a new area. I, I'm, we're joking about the paper map. I would need it myself because you kind of need to orient yourself. So then JP kind of just showed you the pockets of St. Catharines. Correct. And the differences. Well, you, you know, I live in the GTA. So I mean like, you know, what are the Jane and Finch areas? What are the Forest Hill areas? What are the startup good, good areas? What are the areas to avoid? Which ones are too expensive to make the numbers work? Um, you know, um, a class, B class, C class neighborhoods, essentially. And then, you know, that, that was just the beginning. After that, it took me driving around, viewing properties, seeing exactly for myself, whether these neighborhoods actually made sense. Um, I'm the type of person that actually eats my own lunch, practices what I preach. So before I bring any investors into any municipality that I personally in, uh, recommend, I usually invest in those properties first. I want to see exactly how how these things operate. I want to see exactly. Wow, you do what you say you're going to do. Holy smokes, yeah, that's shocking. <laughs> so, what did you do in St. Catharines? So, I bought uh, with my JV partner. We bought our first uh, uh, four level backsplit on the north end of St. Catharines. I love those properties. Yeah, mm -hmm. four huge. level backsplits are always my. Th and they're yeah. so big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, just gives you so many options too. I don't know. If, did you rent it out as a one property? Did you one property initially. We just converted it. Uh, I had a nice side door off the driveway. Uh, not on the driveway. It had a vestibule on the other opposite side. So it had oh, like a covered okay. vestibule. So okay. it was quite nice. Um, but we rented it out as a single family home for our next peanuts practically back then. We, we bought it for a whopping 300K back in 2000, end of September 2016. It's funny. You say that now, but looking back to buy that property in that area in at that time. 300K yeah. in St. Catharines felt really Well, there wasn't much appreciation going on there for a long that, period right. of time because they were they were working on the QEW there for, I don't know, 15 years. Yeah, you just couldn't years. get to it even yeah. if you wanted to get to St. Catharines. That was the, I don't know what, I, I wanted to go back and look what that construction project was for that strip of the QEW. I feel like they did nothing. Where they added one lane. I don't know, but it was the, <laughs> the longest road construction project I've ever witnessed in my life. There had to be more. Every to time you went to Niagara, you were going through yeah. construction yeah. in St. Catharines. Well, and most people's basically perception of St. Catharines is like, okay, it's a place that I pass by on my way to Niagara Falls. I mean, honestly, I mean, one of the benefits of doing what I do is I got to explore these municipalities, all the nitty gritty areas and, and see some, some phenomenal neighborhoods and phenomenal like, yeah. lifestyles as yeah. well, right? So you got Niagara on the lake literally on the other side of Welland Canal practically down there. So you have wineries, uh, 
everything's within a 25 minute drive basically of everything that you need there uh, within the- and what most people in Toronto don't know is the green belt that goes around Lake Ontario touches really close to the lake or comes really close proximity to the lake between Hamilton and St. Catharines. So development kind of stops Hamilton and Grimsby. And then there's nothing really allowed to develop in an easy way because of the green belt. Correct. And then it opens up again right at St. Catharines through Welland there. So you can have development. Welland, Niagara. Yeah. St. Catharines is out of Greenfield land. So it's, it's done. Like it's just infill now. That's the yeah, idea. yeah, got it. Because they've used all the land. But what I mean there is like there's actually developable, 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 <laughs> develop. You can develop land. You can develop land in that area just because it's right. opened. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and in 2015, uh, shortly after getting my license, I did my first two unit conversion. So that's the one with the flooring, uh, joist uh, relocation. So it was a major, under, my first two unit conversion. And uh, it was a massive undertaking. You know, and if it was like five years prior, I'd be totally freaked out about a project such as that. Um, but literally, it's like, oh, okay, it's an issue. I'm, I wasn't sure exactly what the issue was because the foundation looked okay. But, you know, when you were in the living room of these areas, it's an L-shaped living room, literally a span of about three feet between where the dining room table would sit and the, and the exterior window would be. If you took a step towards the window, it felt like you were taking one step on, on, a, on a staircase. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I walked around the, the, the property. I'm like going, there's no cracks in the foundation. I'm like going, what the hell is going on here? Right. I thought it was a foundation issue, but it wasn't. The basement uh, uh, ceilings were finished. And I'm like going, well, until I take off the ceilings, I don't know what the hell is going on here. So when we took them out, we finally found out that it was this, actually a structural uh, screw up by the builder. This has been around for 40 plus years at that stage. So when you changed it to duplex, what were the incomes, Felix? Uh, the incomes were dirt cheap. Uh, main floor I was renting for, I believe, thirteen ninety five. Okay. And a thousand ninety five for the basement. That sounds unit. about right then. And and just to give everyone perspective, so that was about five years, uh, six years ago, six years ago. A year and a half ago, I uh, yeah. Between a year and a year and a half ago, I refilled both units. Um, oddly enough, my basement tenant uh, works for the LTV. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, so she's uh, paying sixteen ninety five for the basement unit, and the main floor tenant's paying just over two thousand plus. So plus you went hydro. you went from about twenty over gross income on that property six years ago twenty two hundred or so uh, twenty three hundred some, some, something somewhere. like that to now um, over uh, three yeah, yeah three thousand and change. Yeah, I yeah, got it. So. Uh, no, no, more than uh, three thousand. Because top 36, was twenty six, thirty seven hundred. Sorry, top was twenty two. Bottom was how much? Uh, so it's two thousand. Call it two thousand. Whatever the increase was. So call it two thousand plus seventeen hundred. So it's uh, thirty seven hundred. Thirty seven hundred. Yeah. Wow. So it's a massive increase on income. And it goes back property. to the t- it goes back to the time, right? Because we've seen that multiple times. I mean, we we, we often in one of the presentations I often share one of the examples where an investor was pretty much breaking even on a property when they bought it. And then four or five years later, you know, that tenant left, uh, there was built up equity from the, from the pay down, not even from price appreciation, right. But just from the pay down, they got price appreciation as well. Um, and then, uh, the rents change and all of a sudden the numbers, they refill the property, the cash flows quite strong on a single property. And it sounds pretty good. Oh, yeah, and, and, and today more than ever, that's more important to basically take into consideration uh, right now as well. Even if you do a two-unit conversion, I mean, the reality is it doesn't matter what you do in the Greater Golden Horseshoe. Chances are you're going to be lucky if you can even break even at this stage, especially with the interest rates uh, now rising. However, um, I, I suspect that the inflation for rental rates is going to skyrocket from here on forward. And the reason being for that is, you know, on Christmas Day, 
in 2021, I, I did like a Facebook Live uh, uh, session with respect to where the real estate market is going. And I basically just called that affordable housing is dead forever in southwestern Ontario. And there's reasons for that because the building costs are around $300 a square foot to build. If you get, if, even if you were to build a 2,000 square foot modest single family or semi-detached house, that will cost you about $600,000 to build. And it doesn't matter whether you built it in Toronto, whether you built it in Vancouver, New Brunswick, it cost, a piece of lumber costs the same basically all across the country. So in fact, some of these areas are actually even more. Uh, labor rates are approximately the same. Uh, cost of steel, cost of everything that you need basically is about the same. So it'll, a 2,000 square foot house will cost you $600,000 to build. However, you know, and $600,000 may be affordable to someone still. However, that does not include development charges, which are absolutely insane. You know, City of Toronto basically is proposing a 49% increase from this year to next. And if you look at basically the increases that they did over the last two years, we're looking at a 73% increase in development charges. Uh, for a single family home, you're looking at around 135 to 140,000. That does not include parkland fees, that does not include permitting fees, that does not include zoning fees, that does not include servicing the lot. Um, oh, by the way, Big kicker, that, is not, that, that does not include the cost of land. Mm -hmm. So the only big variable factor with respect to building costs of, of construction of housing all across the country is the cost of land within the municipality that you're dealing with. That's your only variable factor. It is something. A lot of, a lot of people look at developers and they see the prices have gone up, which has lined their pockets 100%. However, it's not like every dollar of the price increase has gone to the developers. The margins are margins. So like their margins might, you know, they were squeezed at one point and they've gotten better from my understanding. But at one point, developer margins were like, like any other business, right around 10%, that type of stuff. Then they got better and then they get worse because, and then they see fluctuations in prices and development costs when they're in the middle of their development. I know one developer um, that actually had to go back to their buyers and say, hey, like, look, if you want this, we... Here, they was in their contract. They were able to go back, and they asked for more money, or they, they canceled the project. Though, they, right? Yeah, they asked for more money. These people were, happy, were were willing to pay. And you know what? To to your point, it's probably better that they did it that way versus cancel the project because then you know we've heard those stories. And it's those interesting though, because if that's pre-construction, if prices change, I wonder if those people who are willing to pay are as willing to pay in two yeah. months from now if the if the property prices settle a little. Yeah, bit. and th that and that's the flip side of this whole thing. So you can't like there has been have been times. Where, because I, I agree with your argument, but there have been times where you can buy for less than it costs to build. Oh yeah. Because if the market corrects, the market corrects, and it doesn't it doesn't matter what it costs to build. There's you know supply. There's a bunch of supply on the market. There's not enough people buying, and the prices will will follow as well. Because there's going to be some people thinking like that, and and they could be right as well. There's then there's all, all the other factors we talk about and that type of stuff. Uh, absolutely. And when we, I'm sure you guys know, when we started investing in Hamilton. That was the case, right? The replacement value if, if, to rebuild that house cost way more than the actual house and the, the land that it's at. Mm -hmm. Not anymore. No. Um, but it I, was a weird time, though. It, 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 it was a weird time. It was a time, the same time. I wish time we knew as much as we know now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, How did you go to, I want to get uh, just uh, get to the triplexes and then ask you some general questions. Sure. How did you get to triplexes in St. Catharines? Um, so I started doing two-unit conversion uh, It's a triplex? triplex? Triplex. How did you get triplex. to the triplexes? Tell me about the triplexes. It was just more about myself trying to push the envelope. So um, there was a property that I viewed in Welland, Ontario, in uh, the, the Canada Day weekend. And, uh, you know, we always, as realtors, we always look after... Touch the water next to you. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, always, we always look after our clients' best interests. But it so happened, like, summertime, most of our clients start taking vacations and whatnot. And I literally just firmed up a couple of deals with my clients. 
that wasn't really working with anybody else at that stage. I only undertake one to two clients at a time. And this thing, as I was firming up this deal, I was sitting in the t- local Tim Hortons in Welland. I'm like going, hey, let's take a look at what, what just went on to the market. And there was a property that popped up, no photos, just a description, and I'm just down the street from it. I'm like going, you know what, I'm here anyway, let me go check it out. It was a four-level side split, a uh, very nice area of Welland. And I'm like looking at him, like going, holy crap, it's 1,400 square feet, corner property, has 10 parking s- uh, spots in the back of the property with a no. two double car garage and another single car garage. Oh, jackpot. Yeah, Jeez, yeah. Good for you. Well, I, I looked at him, like going, okay, two-unit conversion, no problem. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, it's four-level side split. Four, you know, you're looking at close to 700 uh, square feet per level at that stage. I'm like going, well, at 700 square feet per level, you know, if you're looking at a Toronto condo, what is a two-bedroom condo square footage these days, right? And, and if you think of it, you think of it as a rectangle, right? So if I have a, at least about 625 square feet or even less to work with, I'm like going, can I do this? And I, nobody, I, I, don't, I, I haven't heard of anybody else doing it until I actually contemplated this. So I, I spoke to my BCIN. He did some research with the city of Welland. And lo and behold they allowed us to do a three-unit conversion on a single-family home without adding any existing exterior structures whatsoever. We're using the existing building envelope only to do this. Wow. So, again, uh, I eat my own lunch. <laughs> I, I did this uh, first personally myself. So you put in two kitchens, I guess, because it probably was only one kitchen in that house. There was one kitchen in the house. Um, originally, they had a two-car garage that was attached okay but Convert since then that's a living space or the, something the previous owners yeah one of the sides so, so they split it into two one of the sides had like a 10 person jacuzzi a full sauna a shower oh they were already using it as kind of living space. yeah okay. yeah um but you know the leveling of the flooring still had to be kind of done and uh, they had a two-piece bathroom downstairs so in in one of the levels the first level of the basement actually it was a main floor it was kind of a, almost a walkout in the back and uh out of the two-piece bathroom, I created a full kitchen, including a dishwasher, everything, basically. Uh, there were some low-bearing walls that I had to contend with. And uh, it was an interesting project because it was my first one kind of in the in the three-unit. I mean, I've, I've, at that stage, I already had quite a bit of experience doing two-unit conversions and converted it into three. And immediately after I did it, uh, the benefit about doing three-unit conversion projects you know, cash flow was phenomenal to begin with because at the end of the day, your third unit will cost me like 50, 60 grand to, to create back then. Uh, payback on that is like four years. Which is and what are you renting that out for, that property? Uh, actually, I converted it subsequently into a mini hotel. So it's actually fully short-term rental right now. Oh, got it. But if I, was I thought you, said, you were going to say, I converted it into a 12 unit. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Yeah. Your three yeah, unit was kind of exciting. I think the Toronto Star wants to talk yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah, that's, a little, yeah, that's yeah. a little aggressive. Well, it's, it's, okay, so you're, you're, you're strategy upon strategy yeah. upon so strategy. So now you're doing short-term rentals in each of the units. But, but I'm the only one doing short-term rentals that are all of my clients. So I'll, I'll tell you what the going rates are for the apartments the way that they are. So the main floor, I should be able to get at least $2,200 a month. It's a 1,400 square foot unit, three bedrooms, oh, one bath. Okay. When you say short term, though, because some people are like, well, I'm doing short term, but I'm renting it one month at a time. No, but he's not talking short term. You, no, no Airbnbs, Airbnbs. So you're talking yeah. 2200 by renting it over weekends and that no, no, type no, of no, stuff. No, he's no, no, talking straight rental. Standard. standard. We're not talking rental. Airbnb or short term okay. right now. Oh, okay, okay. He's going to give you. us those in yeah, a second, yeah. I'm sure. So it had a couple of its own challenges and nuances. Um, you know, you have to get that third electrical panel if you're basically planning on splitting the, the hydro. Interestingly, when you're doing three unit conversions, um, the ESA allows you to actually utilize 200 amp services and split them into three 100 amp panels. 
I'm an accountant. I don't understand how one plus one plus one equals two, but how apparently for you is that. Well, their their logic is basically that use it all at the same, time. At the same yeah. time, like full load, basically every single unit uh, full, fully loading on it. And then there's water issues as well, right? Like you have to upgrade the water lines, which is typical, basically even in two units. So the total years. rent. So the total rent for that one, $2,200 for the main floor. Each of the uh, lower units, I could probably get around, uh, the one that's kind of above grade uh, on the main level, I, I easily get around 1750 for that one. And the technically basement unit, which is really a walkout in the back, um, 1650 so say 1700 so like plus 5600 or something like that you're over 5000 yeah. um a, a month on rent but but when you say it's a larger unit though right? okay but when you say probably do you have some people getting this amount of oh, rent yeah. okay yeah. okay so you know this can be done oh yeah and i'm being very conservative and you're that. helping other uh, people some of your clients do these triplex conversions correct i have triplex uh, i have three clients right now in the process of doing uh, uh triplex conversions one of them actually has a bonus um he can not only is he doing a tri uh, triplex or triplex mm -hmm. um he'll be able to sever the lot as well and create his own like uh another another lot out of the property in addition to him my doing gosh yeah those are okay. nice those are yeah we have a bunch of rockstar members now this is now a thing we actually have a class felix i don't know if you know this we actually have a class and the trend please Andy oh. Tran, no, that's this one's taught by Spencer Brown. Okay, Spencer Brown's teaching his, the young guy who's an engineer who just started doing this basically by himself. He's now a rock star member, and Victoria he, too touches on Victoria it. Victoria Swen oh. is doing that as well. She's she been on the podcast too, and she's, she's been here. Yeah, it's 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 basically have when you see this younger generation of real estate investor come up. Nick and I thought we were brilliant with like, hey, you can buy properties in Hamilton and rent them out. Like that was like our, you know, growing up in Mississauga, we're like Hamilton, and we thought we had were brilliant. Like that was the level of our sophistication. Now you have young investors coming up, severing lots, doing all these conversions, Airbnb, short term rental, oh, yeah, just the limit yeah yeah it's just the but it's just it, you take what opportunities there so you know as prices went up because you, you used to be able to kind of throw a dart by any property yeah, we, and it worked out right to, to be too fair. much yeah here's but some then, cash flow turnkey property yeah. straight rent uh, make two three hundred four hundred five hundred dollars yeah so there's still and then people look at it well there's no opportunity I'm like okay look the way you used to invest 10 years ago yeah, those are no opportunities. You don't, you can't invest like that anymore. Where you throw a dart and every property works and every property cash flow is great and that type of stuff. Now you just got to be smarter. There's like like in any business and everything that we do. There's more effort involved to kind of get the same returns. But that's what we've seen across the board, really, in almost in almost every venture. Not not just real estate, like everywhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and what's more important is we're you know if you're doing something like a triplex conversion or a duplex conversion. Um, a lot of the builders have not clued in as to what the market really needs at this stage. Most people can no longer afford a fully detached mm -hmm. home. So as I mentioned, $600,000 to build a 2,000 square foot house. In a city like Toronto, where the land values are around a million and a half for that lot, you know, is it any surprise that these properties are going for well over $2 million? No, right? If in, 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 in a city like Welland, where the lot might be 300, 350, is it any surprise it's going to, for about a million dollars now? No, I know it blows people's minds. Like where you, where you see townhouses in the in a city like Welland selling for eight fifty, and it's just like what, <laughs> right? And the reason why the builders have not clued in on this yet is because people can sim like the vast majority of the buyers out there, unless they're already in the real estate market, they cannot afford to go out and buy themselves a million dollar property. And with CMHC rules, anything over a million, they have to come up with a twenty percent down payment. Good luck to them, right? Uh, they're already finding it very hard to make ends meet. So 
I believe that builders will keep on building less and less low-rise housing, but that's exactly what the market actually needs. But at the same time, when you do a conversion from a single family to a two unit, to a three unit, now it, it, it enables that family to come in and buy that property, maybe live in one of the units and let one or two of the other units kind of subsidize the living costs, right? And that's a necessity now. That's not a, a you know a nice to have or let's do some house hacking, let them pay a pay off you know pay a portion of my mortgage. Now it's a necessity just to even get into the market, even if you have to pay out of pocket. At least you know if you're carrying costs at net of all of your rent received is five hundred to a thousand dollars. That's cheap. Where yeah, what, yeah, what you just described is the current great opportunity in real estate. Like this is it, finding an infill property where you can convert it to something like you're describing. If you can sever a piece of the lot, I might, I'm, yeah, my sure. gosh, that's a jackpot even better. But this is the current great opportunity that's untouched. And it's kind of nice because big developers won't do it. Big developer, we actually know some developers who do one-off little projects like Smaller this. Smaller ones. But in general, big developers aren't going to touch it because it's too small for them. Institutional money isn't going to go in there because it's inefficient for them to buy this and turn these over. So it leaves this gap in the market, like you're saying, for investors like all of us to step in there and do that kind of project, create cash flow for yourself, create housing for the population, make a nicer property than probably exist or may have existed there previously, kind of works in a lot of ways. And I, I think the developers are going, I don't know if it's that they don't, know about the opportunity like there i think there's some developers that are clearly understand the market dynamics but if the municipalities now are guiding them towards higher density de subdivisions because they need the housing units as a developer you would likely take that all day long for the approval because your your, your profit's going to be larger because if you're selling a, you know on, on one lot where you could build whatever the number is, 50 homes, if instead you can build 40 stacked townhomes plus a condo building on top of it, 100 units, and you're able to sell however many millions of dollars of real estate versus what the homes would generate and your margins are based on, on what you, you know, the housing units, it just makes more sense for them. And the municipalities are, they're, I mean, look, the, the municipalities, uh, they're stated to, are, are pushing them in that direction. The, the Ontario government wants them to go in that direction. The municipal governments want them to go in that direction. So I think that's what they're seeing. So they're like, why would I build single family? And, and we're seeing the numbers, like, as you know, too, the numbers of single family are just dropping in new developments. But I, I don't think that'll change unless unless the, the, the municipality, the guidelines for development have to change for zoning. Yeah. You know what's kind of infuriating about hearing this is that like all the hard work that you're doing, Felix, sometimes gets labeled in mainstream media as Agreed. investors buying all these properties and investors are the problem. And it's like there's two factors here. First of all, there's a lot of Canadians who can't get ahead financially and they turn to real estate because of our monetary policy. It's a hard asset that helps them get ahead. So they're actually forced to get into real estate. They want to deal with these joist issues that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, if you could so buy a GIC and, and earn yeah. a 10% so they're, return, they're, they're, they're are you forced into the real estate because of the government monetary policies and then you're making great housing but that's never discussed so the second thing is you're taking all this risk you're buying this thing you're putting your own money into this and you're developing good good housing and it's never really discussed that the product of what an investor does often is creating new housing for the community that they're in yeah the provincial housing report that came out basically was suggesting to open up more of these types of opportunities, right? With um, the, the yellow zone around the, the uh, GTA and allow for third units and stuff. That all goes back to the private real estate investor like yourself to to give 
affordable to create affordable housing units and put them on the market for people because the government's not doing it. They did it when they, they whatever I forget the bill number, but when they when they mandated that people were allowed to have second suites, um, what was that 2014? That that yeah, was that sounds right? about right. About back then when they mandated that, that's the same thing they did back then. Was like, hey, we can't solve this, so we need the private investors to do it. However, that side of it is very rarely discussed. To your point, yeah. Well, you know, let's look, if we're going to be already talking about that, the, you know, about our government actions. First of all, yeah, because we shouldn't, we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead. First of all, the biggest risk factor in Ontario right now is the upcoming. Uh, provincial elections, right? Oh shit! All right, okay. Here we uh, go. Forget about interest rates. Basically, the biggest uh, the biggest risk factor is the provincial elections. Um, we already got the federal budget, and it's much ado about nothing. They're saying, okay, we're going to dump another billion and a half dollars into affordable housing to give people perspective. You know, a billion and a half dollars sounds like a ton of money. That's basically a condo building. Mm -hmm. So for all of Canada, we're going to help you out build affordable housing. We're going to build you a, a, a condo tower. There or you go. Half of it's going to go to a study that's going to do nothing anyway. Correct. So don't worry about that. 1875 so, so keep going. So the biggest, uh, the biggest challenge right now is, um, number one, there's NIMBYism. Number two... Um, you, you, the, not, not everyone might now be uh, uh, familiar with that term. So can you just share that? There's a lot of municipalities. I'll, I'll give you an example. Niagara Falls, I'll call them out. Um, they, you know, when, when the, federal, uh, the provincial government said, thou shalt allow basement units, but they have to comply with building code, fire code, electrical safety authority. The, uh, a city like Niagara Falls basically threw the bird uh, to, to the provincial government saying, okay, you want us to do it? Okay, here are rules. 40% of your main floor space is your maximum square yeah. foot. So NIMBYism, just so people are aware, it's not in my backyard. Correct. And it's, it, listen, that's the, you know, politicians are voter whores. They have to appeal to their voter base. I've never heard voter of that term whores. before. Yeah, yeah, well, well, they are. We're taking okay. it to the next right. level now. Yeah. Keep going, Philly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and you're seeing government policy driving this as well. The good thing is, I mean, now it's in a front of mind, but the problem is they've been kicking the can down the road for decades now. They want to show like they're doing something. You know, what has what has their current prime, uh, like? Uh, sure. OK, so what's just getting back to the point? What's our current threat with the provincial election? The, the provincial election, if if uh, a party like the NDP comes in or the Liberal Party comes in, uh, even at the federal level, we're already seeing this. You remember the letter that uh, the prime minister kind of gave out to uh, send out to the minister of housing? They wanted to actually start doing a registry of, with respect to how much the previous tenants paid versus what, uh, you know. Okay, so rent controls. Basically, vacancy decontrols, which yeah. basically means the only way that we can actually still kind of make a go of it over the long term, um, you know, our, our rental rates are capped, increases are generally capped at 2.5% for any housing built prior to November 2018. Um, so the only real way that we can actually bump it up to market values and make a go of it is every time a tenant turns over, at least we can raise it to market rent. Correct. They want to eliminate that. Yeah. They want you to basically force you to. That's coming. Let's yeah. face it. That's it coming. I, I don't know at the federal level, uh, what the next federal elections three years in a row, if, if, if it's not a liberal government, maybe that'll change. But I got to think in our world, that's coming. Correct. And Where like, just to repeat that would be that if a property goes vacant, then you can increase the rent to the market rate at the time, which is kind of helpful because you know whatever the market rate is is what you're able to earn on the property but what we're talking about here is that if somebody's paying you two thousand dollars a month in rent and market rents three thousand and they leave the government's going to say no 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 you can't go to market rent if the past person was renting at two thousand dollars you can just do two thousand plus maybe a few percentage points and we get rental price controls in ontario and maybe right across the country i don't know the only reason i don't know about that is the last time they've tried to do something like that that uh, and again, they would need forward thinking 
ranking for this, so that maybe I'm probably that probably makes me wrong right mm-hmm. away. But when they've done that in the past, the number of rental units that were being built has dr- dropped, dropped dramatically for debt for decades, not for like a couple of years, for decades. No, you we make only, sense. You we, make sense. The rental units day, just okay. came back over the last couple of years. Yeah. Like they're just coming on the market now. Yeah. So if they go and change that, which you're right, maybe they'll be like, well, we have the rental units now. Now we're going to stick it to the developers and put these rules in. But it'll well, just it, cause to the Felix's same point, it just goes to votes. Hey, we need to save everybody. These rents are out of control. Let's not get to the source or cause of the problem. We're just going to deal with the symptoms. Yeah. No, that's fair. I no, know. no, no, they're not getting to the cause. Yeah, they, 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 you're, you hit the nail on the head. They're not looking at the underlying root issues of what's driving our real estate market and what's driving rental rates. Because by putting screws on developers and investors, nobody can afford to buy a house these days. If you're a first-time buyer, like in, in the GTA, you want to buy a low-rise house. Even even a two-bedroom condo is, is, it's uh, gone. is a far stretch, right? So if you're going to put those type of uh, uh, policies into place, what incentive do investors and developers have of creating new rental stock or new affordable housing stock whatsoever? And, and bear in mind that we are, as investors and developers are not there to basically provide social housing to, to the population. We'd like to help those individuals, but we can't make a business case of- Yeah, you're, you're, yeah you're accumulating capital, deploying that capital, which involves risk. In return for your risk, you're getting a return. Correct. It's called capitalism. That's right. <laughs> that's what we're. That's kind of how things get done. And, 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 but what we have is a current system that's not capitalism at all levels, at the banking sector, at the housing sector, at every sector, and it distorts the economy. Well, this is this is the other crazy part. If, I mean, the Minister of Housing, Fifth Estate, has had uh, an affordable housing crisis uh, episode about a month ago, I, I think. You watch TV. Uh, there was on YouTube or whatever. Oh, okay. And um, it was interesting because, you know, CBC is kind of very leftist based, which is great. Um, it was pretty one side. I like how you just label things very cleanly about people and places. Well, and listen, media. it's funded by the government. Yeah, yeah, it's no, hard. No, it's no, hard not Felix. to. Like, yeah, yeah, it's hard to argue Felix. that fact. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's. It's. Well, listen. I mean, it's. It's government. It's government funded. So how unbiased are they really? Sure. From a yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's. It's. It's like seventy five percent. I don't quote me on the number, but it's way higher than I we thought. We need to dig up these. Numbers. Yeah, yeah. But I, my understanding, last I saw, it was in the seventies. Uh, so somewhere in the seventy percent. Um, range of their uh, of their income is government funded. Yeah. I thought it was like fifty, so I, even fifties, you know, would, would would definitely skew their point yes. of view. At seventy, you're like, holy cow, how can they not, you know, just kind of be a mouthpiece for the government? But whatever. But even so, even so, uh, they actually wanted to get a comment from the minister of housing for the federal minister of housing, and they're like, oh, okay, you're, you're saying you're creating these affordable housing units. Can you tell us basically how much you expect them to actually cost to buy or to rent? No answer. No comment. <laughs> so, I, I mean, it's I'm, I'm laughing, but I'm not laughing. It's actually very tragic because, you know, they're saying one thing, you know, a billion and a half thrown basically to build one condo, uh, condo building for the entire country of Canada. You know, it makes for great headlines, but they're really not doing anything. And if they're not doing anything, who exactly is going to be providing these uh, these affordable housing units going forward, especially after they start putting the screws on developers and landlords? So, so here's the number from this is from this is actually from the CBC website, CBC.radio. So it says CBC slash Radio Canada. So I don't know if it's just the Radio Fund uh, division of CBC or not. But it says, so it's from their website. In, in 2019, 2020, they recognized 1.2 billion of government funding. So 70.6 of total revenue from the government. Yeah. 
Right. So that and that's from the CBC website of their own funding. So you would think not, that's not biased. So yeah. to bring you back uh, to kind <laughs> yeah. of the evolution of the investor. So now you're semi-retired. You have these properties in St. Catharines. You're semi-retired. You can choose to use this income to fund your life. You can be fully retired. Correct. So uh, about a year ago, I started. Uh, you're 48. You're young, dude. Well, technically, I was retired last year. If I really wanted to. Oh, okay. Sorry. 47. Uh, and and the, this is this is what kind of highlighted <laughs> it. Yeah, 47. <laughs> Uh, it's a good number. Who, who, good who number. cares about yeah. the, the, the yeah, age? Yeah. But it took me about 10 years to get here, first of all. I'm yeah. going to write you a letter after this saying, hey, Felix, don't be lazy. Get back to work. Yeah. I, I am working. Dude, who do you, yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to try to be as me. Who the hell do you think you are planning your retirement at this age? At this age. My you, friends you make know, fun of me all the time. They're going, you're retired, but why are you working so hard? And I'm like, going, yeah. I'd be bored out of my skull if I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's the biggest threat to you? Is it is it then the government? Is it? interest rates is that credit markets and banks don't lend anymore like what what to your income from your real estate portfolio what is the what's the biggest risk what do you freak out about i don't really freak out about too much and i'll explain why so i've over the last couple of years i've decided to change tact so what kind of uh, brought things into perspective for me is there was a lender that required me to provide him with okay give me all your fair market values for all the properties give me all your mortgages property taxes paid and everything else so I'm an accountant. I'm going, screw it. I'm going to do a spreadsheet. And I didn't really, you know, people say create goals for yourself. You know, how many properties you're going to be purchasing on a yearly basis. I never had any of that. I literally just said, yeah, I've seen an opportunity. If my clients are not willing to buy it, I'll buy it essentially, right? Uh, during the 2017 downturn, I was my own best client. You know, clients took like, uh, got cold feet. I go, screw it. I'm going to start going on a tear. Um, within the last five years, I probably picked up 50% of my portfolio in just the last, Oh wow. actually I haven't purchased anything since, uh, August of last year, 2020, sorry. Okay. Uh, so between 2016 to 2020, I picked up 50% of my portfolio. Wow. Uh, most of that in, in Niagara region. And what, what I did is once I did that spreadsheet without uh, any plan in place. I'm like going, it, w it w became an addiction. You know, once, once you get into this real estate bug, it became an addiction saying, ah, I want to buy more. I want to buy more. And it got to the stage where I looked at the spreadsheet. I'm like going, holy shit. I looked at my, uh, uh, the, the, the market value of the properties minus the debt. And I got a figure. I'm like going, I don't need to work anymore. Yeah. So you felt good. Well, it's, it's nothing really changed for me. Mm -hmm. Right. But, yeah, but it, it gives you some peace of mind. Correct. I mean, when you're at that stage, you, you're not worried. When you don't have to worry about money on a regular basis, it gives you kind of a different state of mind. It's freedom of choice a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Correct. You know, maybe not complete freedom yeah. of choice, but but a lot a lot um, a lot more than than yeah. having to think about it on a daily basis. Absolutely. But but to go forward, I'm like going okay. But I'm heavily concentrating in southwestern Ontario, and I want to continue building wealth. But I don't really want to buy any more properties per se. Right. Um, I'm okay with managing the properties that I have. I manage them personally. You know, I, I outsource basically filling the properties. I don't even fill my own properties, let alone my clients at this stage. But so over the last couple of years, I've decided to take the next step uh, in the evolution of a real estate investor. Um, and the next step essentially is, okay, I can continue drive, getting leverage, uh, using leverage to continue growing my wealth. And how I've been able to do that over the last couple of years is I've been on a tear of refinancing most of my properties. Um, and redeploying those funds into other investment vehicles. So some of them, uh, some uh, some of the listeners here will be familiar with, would be private equity deals with builders such as uh, Graybrook. Um, those ones I like using with registered funds because they're longer sure. term contracts. 
you're not using the funds anyway for years on end. Life insurance? You're doing anything life insurance? Um, no, not right now. No, I, I took okay. out like a, I have a term life policy and I have a, univer- a very small universal yeah, okay. life policy. But generally speaking, I'm kind of self-insured. I mean, like okay, you know, something. So, what other type of investments? Anything else you can share? It's if you don't want to share, it's fine. No, as well. no, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what I'm here for, right? I just want to kind of provide some uh, other ideas. Um, so, in addition to Southwestern Ontario private equity deals. Um, and the way I diversify myself is I don't put all my eggs in one basket. I'll basically put in 25, 50 grand in one, one development deal, 25, 50 grand in another development deal. So I'm spreading my risk out uh, and across various municipalities. So some in Durham region, some in Lindsay, some in the Junction, some in Markham, whatever the case may be. Uh, in addition to that, I'm doing, I've, I've developed relationships with uh, people that do kind of similar things, but in the Arizona market. So now I'm, I'm actually a private money lender and a private equity partner in a number of projects in the greater Arizona area. Um, I've um, become a fractional owner in a 300 unit plus uh, apartment, low rise apartment complex in Atlanta. Um, going to be- Is that like a timeshare you're trying no, to no, tell no, me no, about? No, 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 <laughs> no. I thought we were about to get a timeshare pitch for it's, Atlanta. It's, it's, it's an actual- Hey guys, by the way, <laughs> would you like to visit Atlanta? No timeshares. One time every five years? No timeshares. <laughs> Um, just developing relationships with people who actually are the managing partners that are based cool. on boots on the ground. So I become more passive. I'm more in the driver's yeah, seat yeah. at this stage because I want more simplicity in my life. I don't want to create more headaches, more, more management and everything else. Um, another apartment uh, investment in Kingston, Ontario that I'm going to be getting into in June. Um, awesome, I have man. Private, awesome. Equity, uh, private money deals in Quebec for developers as well, you know, paying 10.5 to 12.5%. Better stop talking. People are going to be looking for you for money, dude. You better start. Stop, you better start stopping yeah. talking right now. <laughs> but that's cool. Even that's retirement, really cool. even a retirement complex in uh, Barrie that uh, that I'm involved with as well. Also, awesome. commercial private equity deals. Basically. Awesome. So there's a lot of opportunities. I guess the point I'm trying to make here is basically there's other ways to grow your money even mm-hmm. after you decide to stop. You know, growing. Yeah, you kind of have to create enough momentum in your life financially to pull yourself above the day-to-day needs that you have, and then once you can accumulate a little bit beyond that, the world is your oyster. Yeah, you know. But but there's, I think, when we're all starting out, it's like you can't even envision that, and you don't realize that you have to go through the hard work of creating it yourself. Because I think when I was younger, I thought, oh, like there's this way to make money that like rich people have that no one tells you about. But you really kind of have to develop yourself into the person that attracts these things to your life, which is you have, Felix. And that's a clarity, right? Like uh, yeah. essentially, once you get to that stage as a real estate investor, that's essentially how the wealthy stay wealthy, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're not working anymore. They're just redeploying their capital. You know, if I can borrow money at even at today's rates, even if it's 4%, but I can generate a return of 105 12.5%, 20%, 30% return annually, I'll take that deal any day, right? I'm okay with leveraging. And if I'm looking at the entire portfolio, just to you know, give yourself a bit of peace of mind and a bit of buffer. Um, even with all these refis, given the substantial increases in values to, to the portfolio of, of real estate investments that I've actually had, uh, my loan to value on, on my book is less than 50% still, even with all these refis. Good for you, man. Awesome, right. Felix. I, th- I think what you should do is get credit cards that pay of uh, 0% offers and yeah. then take as much money as possible and put it into Bitcoin. That's because I didn't hear you say Bitcoin. So that's the other thing you should do. And see how it goes. It's either it, you're going to be able to pay that, it off or you're going to have a, 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 a repeat. That's supposed to be a funny a joke on my, on, my behalf, <laughs> on my behalf. Sure. 
Bit, my, Bitcoin, yeah. Bitcoin, like I said, I have another two refis go, happening. I haven't really gotten into Bitcoin as of yet. Uh, I, I have like an exchange traded fund that I play around with a little bit with them. Listen, Bitcoin's just long-term savings account. Yeah. So think of it as your, instead of going to the bank and using a savings account, which none of us have done for the last 20 years because it was useless, there's now this thing that's a savings account. That's the way I'm telling people about it. It's a savings account. My yeah. point zero two percent interest doesn't, uh, no, <laughs> doesn't no. excite you? No, no, no. The, the, but uh, Felix, we got to start to wrap up. How, how to, uh, what, is there something else you wanted to share? Um, so there's just, always something else Felix yeah, wants to yeah, share. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, just one last it. thing. In, 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 a, in a, given the fact that we're in a, a high inflationary environment, there's actually an additional income stream that people are not talking about, given the government's propensity for financial repression, in order to devalue our debt. We're essentially playing the same games as real estate investors are, as our government is, right? So in addition to cash flow, mortgage pay down, appreciation, now there's a fourth income stream, and that's basically the devaluation of our liabilities, which is our mortgages. And it's substantial. You know, when interest rates are 1%, you don't really notice it too much. But when real interest rates... It's such a big point, and I think it's hard for many of my friends anyway to figure that out. But I think when... I remember when I had that realization, and Nick, I think you were about to buy like a family home or something, and we had like yeah. this thought like, wait a second. If they're going to solve the problem of a lot of debt with even more debt, then it makes sense for us to have some good debt because they're just going to layer it on. It's going to make our debt look smaller and smaller over time because the debt's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was that weird realization, to your point, Felix, that made us comfortable with getting properties, getting mortgages on the properties, and continuing to kind of evolve our own lives. And, and it's, it's basically this exact same game that the government is playing with all Canadians to decimate their savings. Well, guess what? It's decimating the value of our debt as a result. So and with real estate, it's one of the only ways we get to play that correct. game. Correct. Because you're generating income and ROI from that debt in a hyperinflationary environment or a high inflationary environment, you benefit even more, right? So if you had $100,000 in debt, let's, you know, everybody uses these figures for savings accounts. Let's say you have $100,000 in savings account. Uh, inflation rate is, let's say, 7% even, but real inflation rates are, are going at 15. That means that that same $100,000 is 15 minus 7 is devaluing or deflating by $8,000 a year. That's your savings accounts. Well, now flip that over and say that instead of $100,000 in savings, it's a $100,000 mortgage that you currently owe. Well, that mortgage in real terms is now only worth $92,000 a year later. It's amazing. And I guess the risk to all of us would just be managing that debt, managing. That's why we pay attention sure. to interest rates yeah. as much oh, as we do in the credit market. Can, yeah. yeah, like you kind of have to manage. Yeah, you, you got to be on top of it. You can't yeah. be doing the zero credit card thing to the max on all this stuff. You'll get caught. Well, yeah, yeah and 20% interest rate debt and 2% and, and interest rate mortgage debt are entirely different yeah. things, right? And no yeah. one is trained for a 2000. Many people don't even remember 2017. Remember 19, never mind 1990. So you kind of have to be ready for anything, right? Well, well that's why you want to basically do these three, uh, you know, two, three unit conversion projects in order to leave you that little buffer. You want to have that cash flow. You don't want to speculate, basically. And if, if I can leave your, uh, the listeners with one last thought, um, with respect to the type of products, because there's a lot of different investment vehicles within the real estate field, I look at condos as the silver in a hyperinflationary environment, and I look at low-rise housing as gold. Right, because there's going to it's going to be a much rarer commodity for these lower housing. In addition to that, unlike similar to my uh, the beginning of my journey, 
you know, what is the highest and best use of a condo? You're, you're it. You can't do almost anything with it, apart from maybe maybe short-term renting it or whatever the case may be. But otherwise, you can't really do anything with it. With low-rise, you, you have options, potentially. And if, if done properly, you can do extremely well, even with the current interest rate environment, even with the current high, higher inflation environment. And one of the things that we didn't touch upon is because of this high inflation environment, one of the things that has been slow to uptick is actually rental rates. They have been on the move, but I suspect now that the uh, inflation is going higher, less people are going to afford be able to afford to buy houses. The demand for rental units is going to skyrocket, and as a result of that, so are rental rates. So people shouldn't be very short-sighted saying, okay, well, I'm only breaking even today. Take a longer-term approach. Take a longer-term view. As long as you can break even today, over the long term, you will achieve that positive cash flow. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be a year from now. But within the next three to five years, it's pretty realistic that you'll, you'll, you'll get there, and you'll have a very nice nest egg for yourself. Felix Fortzman, thank you so much for sharing everything. Really, I appreciate it, man. I think sometimes we enjoy giving you a hard time back and forth about stuff, but you always handle it so well, and you're always so giving with your information and sharing your perspective. So really, I appreciate it, man. And congratulations on everything you've done, dude. Seriously, to go from yeah, that letter, sure. from that person to you, at your daughter's birth, to the point you're at now. Do you still have the letter? I do. Yeah, I can send that's it over good. To that's you good. Yeah. You should frame that thing. Yeah, okay, good Good for you. No, not allowed one more thing. If someone wants to reach <laughs> out to you, Felix, how do they reach out to you? So they can reach out to me at Felix at rockstarbrokerage.com uh, or Felix at cloud9life.ca. Um, just wanted to offer something for both, both the coaches here and some of the uh, uh, Rockstar members as well. I'm in a position right now where I have multiple projects happening with my clients, both three-unit and two-unit conversion projects. Um, if, if you guys are interested, throw it out there. I'm willing to actually do one of my like road trip to riches tours with both the coaches and some clients, but the space was going to be very limited just to give people an indication as to what these things look like um, at different stages of, of the process. And I'm just in a position right now where I have about three of them ongoing right now, so a good... Uh, sample. Uh, yeah, and depending on when you're listening to this, this may not yeah. be applicable or might be Correct. applicable. But yeah, thanks, Felix. But, but totally reach out to your coach, uh, and we can set up maybe some time. Basically, again, it'll be a very small group essentially. But if this is something that people are interested in doing, whether it's the coaches that want to basically see what these things look like, or 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 their clients, I'll be more than happy to uh, show them the ropes. Thank you, Felix. Appreciate it as always, man. Thank you. Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Felix. Really thankful that he was able to share his story the way he did there. And you know, a lot of different investors we work with want to stay private. So for those investors who do share their story, we really appreciate it because I, I you know, I just kind of think back to when Nick and I were starting, we were driving around and listening to audio cassettes and CDs in our car. Um, it would have been helpful to hear kind of almost in real time someone's successes and challenges and what they went through. So really grateful that Felix was able to do that. So thank you, Felix. And if you are listening to this and you want to come out to our next introductory real estate training class, you can register yourself a seat for that online class at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.